Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Bikes for Death podcast. As always, my name is Patrick, and I'm your host. And on today's episode, we are chatting with Hannah Simon, and this episode was actually recorded live at Cycle East. We had a great turnout. I did a head count while we were up there, and I think we got about 50 people that came, which was amazing. And I'm going to introduce today's episode live and in real time with Hannah. So we're going to get right to the housekeeping. And uh, right off the bat, I'd like to address and apologize for the audio on this episode. I have to tell you that whenever I got home after recording this event, I checked the audio and for whatever reason, whether it was a technical problem or a user error, Hannah's mic did not pick up her audio. And uh, I could have darn near cried. I was almost in tears. I just couldn't believe it because I really, you know, we've been following Hannah's journey for the entire year. This was our fourth episode. And I really, in my mind, I guess I thought of it as like the crescendo of the year, you know, this final note that we were going to hit and uh, maybe putting it into triple crown terms. It's like, we got right up to the finish line of the AZT and uh, DNF'd. And so anyway, I was able to pull audio uh, from a couple of their sources. I actually had five different audio sources with two different cameras, and I stitched it all together the best that I could. And if you squint your eyes, tilt your head to the side, and use your imagination, just pretend that you're there with us at Cycle East in the audience. Uh, and I really hope it's not too bad. Maybe I'm overemphasizing it. Maybe I'm not. I don't know. But I felt really bad about it, and I apologize to Hannah for that miscue and uh, to the audience. So uh, moving along, though, highs and lows, you know, we'll get this one right. I will say that we do have this full episode available in video format on our YouTube channel. And I do think that adding the visual component kind of helps put the pieces together with the audio. Maybe that's worth considering and it's available if you want it. All right, well, that is enough of that nonsense. Aside from that, we really had an amazing chat. It was uh, it was an incredible episode. It really was an incredible chat. And uh, we followed it up with a question and answer from the audience. We got great questions. Like I said, great turnout. The energy was high. And uh, I love doing these live events. It's really sad that uh, Cycle East is closing. But I can tell you that these events have been really well received. I'm enjoying them. Y'all are enjoying them. And uh, I'm definitely going to be doing more of them going forward. So. So to be determined on where those take place, but we're definitely already making plans to uh, do some more live podcasts. So stay tuned for that. Uh, and let's get to our show. But before we do, let's take a moment to thank the people that made today's episode possible, starting with the latest batch of patrons. We would like to thank Ed Pensky, Brian Thielen, and Preston Williams for signing up to be sustaining members of the Bikes for Death podcast. We appreciate everyone that help us produce these episodes. We truly cannot do it without your support. And speaking of community support, it is uh, Giving Tuesday. We are not a nonprofit, so maybe we don't technically fall into this category, but the biggest financial support that Bikes for Death receives does come from the community. It always has. You truly are the reason why I'm able to produce these episodes, this podcast. You always have been. You've always shown up big. And as we close out this year 
and look towards 2024 and making it the best year ever. If you like what we're doing, if if you like the podcast, if you're enjoying the events that we're creating, I can tell you 2024 is only going to be bigger and we could really use your support. So if you can, and you would like to help see us grow, please consider joining us over on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. All right. We also have a couple of sponsors for today's episode. First up is athletic greens. The end of the year is a great time to start thinking about your health. Of course, all the time is a great time to start thinking about your health, but around the holidays, when the weather gets cold, the food gets yummy. It might not hurt to supplement your diet with athletic greens. I use mine daily and I find it to not only be a good daily nutritional insurance, but also a great tool when I go bikepacking. It's small, you can mix it with water and get the vitamins, the minerals, the nutrients that your body needs, and it's convenient. So if you'd like to take control of your health or give the gift of health to a loved one this holiday season, Athletic Greens is making it easy with a free one-year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you got to do is visit drinkag1.com forward slash bikes or death. Again, that's drinkag1.com forward slash bikes or death to take ownership of your health and to pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Now, today's episode is also brought to us by my friends over at Electric E-Bikes. And let me tell you what, I am absolutely in love with my new Electric E-Bike. Whether I'm going on a quick trip to the store or for a hundred other reasons. And now I want one for my whole family. Which makes me wonder, where would you go for the holidays if you and your whole family had electric e-bike? Well, I'm excited to tell you that electric e-bikes is making it easier for you to get an e-bike this holiday season because holiday savings are already here and Black Friday deals are happening now. So for a limited time, you can enjoy $100 off e-bikes and up to $450 in free accessories. Visit electricebikes.com to find the electric model for you. That's L E C T R I C E bikes.com. And if you use the link in the bio, electric ebikes will send bikes or death a little something for the referral. So use our damn link and then go ride your damn e-bike. All right, everybody, that is it. Thanks to all of our sponsors, but the bill's been paid, and now it is time to get to my episode with Hannah. And before we get to the episode, I do have a couple quick housekeeping notes. As we close out the end of the year, uh, we have one more episode coming up. That is going to be an Ask Me Anything episode with me, yours truly. And this is your opportunity to put me in the hot seat. You can ask me anything you want. Um, I love questions. I love asking them. And I'm curious to get yours. And I cannot wait to hear what you come up with. Whenever you think about questions, they don't necessarily have to be questions. You can send me your thoughts, your feedback, topics you want to hear about. Um, Questions can range from anything with bikepacking to personal, to fitness, to mental health. Um, I am willing to answer just about anything. And of course, if you ask something I don't want to answer, I just won't. And that is the benefit of being the host. So You have a good week or so uh, to get those in. To submit those, probably the best way is to email them to me at bikes at bikesordeath.com. And for this year, I thought it would be fun to add the option to allow people to send their questions in as an audio file. So if you'd like to, you can record your questions. You can just use your voice recording app on your phone, whatever it is. 
record your question and you can email me that file and, and then I'll insert that into the episode. And I think that would be really cool and I would love to get some of those. So uh, we'll see what happens, but get those in please. And the other thing that we're gonna be doing on that episode is uh, announcing the awards for the best episodes, the most inspirational, the most downloads, like all the awards for Bikes or Death. And we're also gonna be sending out the end of year survey. So there's a lot going on, but again, end of the year, and uh, we had a lot of housekeeping, but enough of that. Thanks for being here, everybody. Without further ado, let's have Miles Arbor kick it off with the Bikes or Death theme song. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. All right, Hannah says we're ready, so let's do this. Welcome, show up, Austin. What's going on? And one more time for your local legend, Hannah Simon. Literally. Uh, yeah, let's get started, man. Thanks to everybody for coming out tonight. Um, if anyone doesn't know, my name is Patrick. I'm the host of the Bikes for Death podcast. This is episode 168 of the podcast, and uh, we just experienced Bikes for Death did its fifth year um, as of November 6th. I didn't even realize that. And like many of you, I'm absolutely enamored by these humans and these athletes that do amazing things, and it's been an honor to share their stories. And Another record that Hannah has, where we'll be talking about some of them, is she holds the record for the most times appearing as a guest on the Bikes for Death podcast at number at, at number six, <laughs> or or six. This is your sixth appearance. Yeah, yeah. But your number one is where it lands. So, if anyone doesn't know, Hannah just completed the triple crown of bike packing. It is truly the crowning jewel in our sport. There is no greater achievement there is no greater challenge in our sport than the triple crown let me tell you what that looked like for hannah started with the tour divide which was 2745 miles she completed that in 18 days 11 hours came in third oh tied for third place shared third place at the colorado trail race she ran or she rode her bike 580 miles in six days and eight hours coming in sixth place and she wasn't done. Then she went to the AZT, which she's just back from, rode her bike, mostly 800 miles. She also carried her bike for, is it 22 or 26 miles? I always hear different. Well, it's 21 miles, and then, but my, like, I strabbed it as a hike, and it was 26. 26. So. That's why there's the, that's the, that's where the two numbers come from. Actually, good to know that. And she came in third. So in total, she completed 4,075 uh, 4, miles in 36 days and six hours. She's one of six people this year to complete the Triple Crown. And also Katie Strimke, who did a, she completed her career Triple Crown. So that's not in a calendar year, but she's done all three of those events. And uh, I know there's a lot of numbers, but we're going somewhere with this very soon, I promise. I wanted to acknowledge because one of the big 
storylines of this year was the women's field was absolutely phenomenal. Um, it was four out of the six of the triple crown finishers this year were females. And so just to use some numbers to talk us through what happened this year in 2015, Alice Drobna, I hope I'm saying her name correctly, had the records or set the record on a single speed in 36 days and six hours this year. Triple crown winners, we got some new FKTs. Katya set a new FKT of 32 days and six hours. Alexandra Houchin set a new single speed FKT of 34 days and 22 hours. And Hannah came in third place. She is the third fastest person ever to do the uh, triple crown or female to do the triple crown. Uh, and she beat Alice's time. Do you know that she beat Alice's time by 28 minutes? According to the stats that I could find and you know, but uh, it was close, but Hannah's the third fastest to do it. So that's the end of the stats. One more. I mean, it took me a long time to say that and you had to do all those things. <laughs> so, I mean, first off, uh, absolutely congratulations. And it's been really awesome to like follow your journey um, throughout the year. I'm still uh, ingratiated to you for like taking us all along for the ride. Um, as I said in the beginning, like one of the cool storylines this year was just the strong women's field. And I think on the outside, we can all, yeah, good, fast, everybody's doing good and this is fun. What's it like on the insider's perspective? Take us behind the curtain and what is it like in the women's field of bike pack racing right now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's funny because I think whenever uh, I decided to do the Triple Crown, I didn't I didn't realize uh, how few people had done it and I didn't know <laughs> really when I said I was gonna do it, I didn't really know what I was doing. <laughs> and so to see who decided to do it in the same year as me, uh, I, just, I feel really lucky um, to have had so much company. Because like you mentioned, there's only six women who have ever done it. Um, so, and four of them were this year, um, which was really cool. So uh, I think it was motivating in a lot of ways because uh, it just reminded you that you weren't doing this thing alone. Um, and I think it also was awesome to also come out with like three really good friends um, who have supported like, me. Do this too? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, we're the same kind of crazy. Hey, um, yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, you mentioned Katya um, setting up KT's left and right. Oh, I mean, and she's so casual about it. You know, she was like, oh, I had to be somewhere. <laughs> so you got it so fast. Um, yeah, she's awesome like that. Um, and then, uh, yeah, Alexandra has been so supportive of me from the start. Um, she and I hadn't met previous to uh, Tour Divide, and uh, she reached out to me when she heard that I was also doing Triple Crown. Um, and we got to, we actually started Tour Divide together when I got to see her as she was coming in um, the last, like, 40 miles or so, um, you're just on a straight shot road and it had gotten dark and she's like on a single speed, just flat roads and awful sometimes. So I got to say hi to her as she was finishing Tour Divide. And I mean, from that second on, she's been so, so supportive of me, um, which has been awesome. Um, and then Kristen, um, who finished, she finished just after I did um, 
for both Arizona and Colorado. She was a couple days behind the crew during Tour Divide, but I mean, she would have been right up there with us. She even told me during ACT, she was like, I wish I had known, because I would have kicked it into gear and then finished with all of that too. So um, yeah, it's been really awesome. I've got like a whole crew of ladies now. I mean, Alexandra said about she's been doing this for nearly a decade, and like up until this past couple of years, she's been doing it kind of on her own. Um, so you now we all get to hang out together, yeah. which is really cool. I'm so glad you, you said that because my follow-up question is, I'm curious if you have any insights of like where this growth is coming from, why all of a sudden, um, and I'm wondering if Alexandra has been a great example. I'm, I mean, where, do you have any sense of like what caused this, you know, upsurge of like, oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think she has a lot to do with it. Um, I think that it just takes a couple of us and then people start realizing like, oh, maybe this is something I can do too. Um, and I hope that it continues because it has kind of ebbed and flowed. Um, I mean, I've only been doing it for two years now. So um, I think that even just in the last two years, um, I've seen more and more people kind of come out of the woodwork um, and start riding their bikes for long distances too. Um, yeah, I don't, and I don't know if there's anything in particular necessarily. I do think that it's, growing overall as a sport by fat racing generally. Um, and so I think naturally it's gonna pull more and more women to, to be doing it. Um, and I hope, I hope it's inspiring. Yeah. It, has been. I, it is, it definitely is. Uh, I think it's working and I think, uh, I think that the future's bright. So whenever you see someone do it, it's like when you beat the marathon record, right? The marathon record like keeps coming down. Um, and it unlocks that part of your brain. You're like, oh yeah, yeah, I can I can do that too. Well, that's so cool. And I think that's the really nice part about the camaraderie of the thing is that, yes, we're racing each other, but we're also just like, oh, I'm gonna go catch it. You know, like it doesn't feel like nobody wants anybody to do poorly or worse. It's just like, we're all pushing each other to be better, uh, which is a really nice feeling. Yeah, it's hard to be competitive over what, uh, 4,075 miles over this, you know, it's like at some point you're just trying to survive or get to the finish. Um, I failed to mention at the beginning that Hannah and I are going to chat and then we're going to open up to a Q and a, so yeah, uh, save away your questions and, uh, we are excited to get your questions. I'm more excited for those. They're I do want to take a moment. There are yeah. so many faces looking at Whoa. Just want to say thank you so much for Look being at this here. Look turnout. Yeah. This is really awesome. Um, it's overwhelming to get to actually see all of you guys. Like every time we've done one of these podcasts, it's just been Patrick and I, um, which is great. Don't get me wrong. Oh, this is better. <laughs> when Patrick mentioned doing another live podcast, um, I got pretty excited because I really do want to hear from y'all um, and not just talk at you all night. So thank you yeah. so much. Yeah. I concur. Absolutely. One thing I got to thinking about is like, have you ever DNF'd on a big ride? Like I was thinking back to that first 4,000 mile thing that you did across the United States that you signed up for on a whim. And it seems like this is your MO, but have you, have you DNF'd? I don't know that I have. Yeah. Round of applause. Like seriously, like, <laughs> I don't, I don't think she has. So I do remember like back in the early days with Texas 4,000, even on training rides, I remember, I remember one specific training ride that I bent my derailleur hanger on scenic drive. Lots of you know where scenic drive is. I had stopped because it was a really nice view and I had leaned my bike up the wrong way 
and it fell over and it bent my derailleur hanger and I was so mad because the people I was with were like, you really shouldn't ride your bike like that. And I was like, y'all, I've never been sad from a ride. Like, I don't want to do this right now. And, and so that sticks out to me because I did get picked up. But I don't really know if I've gotten picked up since then. That's great. That's amazing. I don't know. It's maybe has anything that they can pick up. But yeah. But I, I was seeing even like even the that's like a pretty that's just yeah. a town road. But like any of these big 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 rides that you've done, and we can throw the Texas Showdown series in there. Like you know the bigger stuff. Like you've you've kicked them all in the teeth pretty well. I'm sure it's coming for me. I was so scared uh-huh. on the Arizona Trail. I was like, don't make it this time. <laughs> don't, <laughs> this isn't the one. Yeah. Yeah. So. Going into this beginning of the year, back before, whenever you decided to sign up for the Triple Crown, did you come into it with a lot of confidence? Like how confident were you? And and also taking into account that it's not just your physical or mental ability, it's weather, it's mechanicals like you touched on. I mean, there's things outside your control. So, I mean, how confident were you going into it, do you think? Well, it's funny, I think I decided to do it and like I said, at the, in the moment, I don't really know that I'd be what I was signing myself up for. Uh, it was like just over a year ago now that we had a, a little hangout at the Rocco Clubhouse. It was after Arkansas High Country, and myself and the two Hall sisters, um, Steph and Kayla, the three of us all got together. And, um, I think a lot of y'all might have even been there. Um, and of course, the question after we talked about High Country was like, what's next? And I said in that moment, I was like, oh, I'm gonna think I'm gonna do this triple crown thing. Like, somebody in the audience was like, hey, you know, you gotta carry your bike across the Grand Canyon for that. <laughs> and I was like, huh? I was like, what? Um, and so in the moment, I was like, oh, that's the thing we consider. Um, so maybe it was a little bit of ignorance. Um, and then I also remember when you and I talked one of the first times, you were like, yeah, okay, so you've done a show now a couple times, you high country, now you're just gonna go do the biggest thing in bike pack racing, and I remember being like, is that a bad idea? <laughs> like, should somebody stop me? I wasn't trying to frame it in that way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, no, it I love the hubris. Yeah. I think it's wonderful. Um, yeah, so I think part of me was confident because I had a lot of support. Um, so being here at Cycle East, like, it was Russell that was like, hey, if you're going to do this, you might as well go ahead and do it. Russell's the owner of the shop and he's my boss. And I was like, okay, I'm going to remember you said that. Like, um, because I would love to make this a reality. Um, but I think one of the biggest things about doing these big bikepacking races is it's really hard to get time off work um, to actually go and do it. Um, it's a big barrier to entry, I think, especially doing all three in one year. Um, so knowing I had that support um, from him specifically, uh, and also from the whole crew of the shop, um, you know, there's a lot of time that I was not here um, that they held it down. Um, we missed you. Really <laughs> yeah, Jim says they missed me. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I miss Jill too, um, for sure. And coming back every time, it's always been really grounding too, like just getting to come back to a place that. Um, didn't change a whole lot between, um, which was really nice to know that I got a job when I got back, except for this last time. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> but yes, I did have a lot of support. I had support from, from my job. I also had a lot of support from um, SRAM and Salsa. The bike that I rode for all three races um, was definitely um, 
essentially gifted to me in a lot of ways. Um, I actually, the fork that I used for both Colorado Trail and Arizona Trail belongs to the beat. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there was a lot of support um, in getting me there, so I think that was helpful. Um, and then building each one, you know, like once you finish a monster like Tour Divide, it's a little easier to look at Colorado Trail and Arizona and say, okay, maybe I can make those work. And then Colorado Trail builds on it because then you're doing more mountain biking, but you're out there for a third of the time that you were for Tour Divide. Um, yeah, and AZT is just a <laughs> oh, I love that. That's a great segue. <laughs> so yeah, let's talk about the uh, AZT. That was actually a perfect segue. So um, if y'all haven't been following the series, as I mentioned, we've been following Hannah uh, through all of her races this year. Uh, so today we're primarily going to be talking about the AZT, but if you want to, there's like three other episodes you can listen to all about Hannah and her uh, bike riding. Mm -hmm. That's what she do. I think you know, for people who haven't done the AZT and you just called it a bitch, uh, it's a broad question, but how would you describe the AZT to somebody who's thinking about doing it, never ridden it before? Yeah, so there are two um, different lengths. There's the 300 and the 800. Uh, formerly it was the 750 um, just a few years ago. So um, it starts at the border of Mexico and the middle of nowhere um, and goes through the state. Um, the 300 finishes at a picket post, which is just north of the like, Tucson area. Um, and then the 800 goes all the way through and finishes at um, statewide campground, uh, which is also in the middle of nowhere. Um, so that's a big question, right? It's like, how do you get to these places in order to actually ride um, the route itself? Um, so there is kind of a little rendezvous spot where the trail starts. Um, I got out there by riding my bike from Tucson with Alexandra and Katya and Johnny and uh, Connor. And how far is that? Um, it was about like 150 miles. So would you, did you like do it the day before or take a couple days to do it or like? Um, yeah, we started on Monday, um, rode from Tucson at like 1 p.m. and then um, got there on Thursday, or Wednesday evening um, because the race started on a Thursday morning. And the Strumkeys were out there. They met us at the start. Um, that's a, a couple that does a lot of these races single speed. So Katie Strumke, who uh, Patrick had mentioned, she just finished her career Triple Crown. So she's done Tour Divide and Colorado Trail already, um, just not this year. And um, so she and Andrew have a van that they live out of. So they were there at the start and the finish, um, which was very helpful. <laughs> they brought pizza to the start, and then Andrew made me the best cheese quesadilla I've ever had in my whole life <laughs> at the end. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, in between those two, like I mentioned, there's the 300, um, which is honestly a pretty big um, chunk of it, like as far as how difficult the, the route is. That first 300 is a lot of climbing. Um, and then this year, they included what's called the Lemon Push. Um, which is the single track version of getting up Mount Lemon. Um, it was not required for 300 riders. Um, they could take the Lemon Highway, that's a perfectly good paved road that goes right up to the top of Mount Lemon. But if you're doing the 800, in true Arizona Trail fashion, you were required to do the Lemon Push, and that was new this year, um, which is a downhill mountain bike route that you have to go up. <laughs> and if I'm being honest, at the end of that, I was like, I 
let's just see about this grant data. <laughs> 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 a lot of push was honestly almost worse, like almost worse. Um, it's just a lot of big boulders and like trying to lug your bike up, um, all of that. I did, of the 11 days I was out there, I did 24 miles going up Lemon Push in one day, and then I did 26 miles going through Grand Canyon on another, um, which is just wild to think about. Um, so that's just comparatively speaking, like there are some other pretty big milestones. Um, and I think there ended up only being two people that got through the push that ended up dropping after. Mm. So the other 18 finishers, like everybody who got through it got through the rest of the race too. So that's a good kind of, you know, mark for like actually finishing the hundred. As well. is, is it the, the push, is it the Grand Canyon that, that define how difficult this route is or other elements at play? Those are two big ones. I would say the other thing is just the lack of resupply. Um, it's very remote. And so not only, you only go through one town, really. You go, there's two. There's one at mile 450, which is Payson. Um, and that's truly, there are two reroutes that um, there are wilderness areas that you can't take your bike through, so luckily they don't make us hike through those. They go around them. Um, and so one of those reroutes takes you through Payson. Um, and then the other town is Tucson, which is like eight miles south of the um, south rim of the Grand Canyon, um, which is nice. But other than that, you're really not going through any towns. And then water is just like super scarce. So I was carrying seven and a half liters for like most of the southern portion of the race. Um, so I had a liter and a half in my Nalgene on my down tube, and then I had two smart water bottles and a two liter pack um, that is like actually hooked up so I can drink from it, and then another two liter bladder in my backpack. So it's six liters of water on my back, and um, that's just not fine a lot of the time. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it's, it makes it that much harder because you have to carry all your stuff with you and you're also going through this really rough terrain um, and you're just not seeing a whole lot of resupply. One of the other factors if we're talking about, I guess, how difficult uh, the AZT is, especially this year, and, and it's common for the AZT, is wide range and fluctuation of temperatures. So below freezing, well below freezing to well above 100. Um, I know this year is particularly bad. How bad was it and how well did you handle it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Down south, it was uh, 105, I think, was one of the higher um, temperatures I heard. Um, it's hard with your computer because I feel like it gets even hotter just in the sun. I mean, some folks were saying like 112, 113 in some places. Um, but yeah, south of Tucson, it was definitely over 100. Which, I'll tell you what, I didn't think being from Texas was worth much in this world, uh, in this bikepacking world, or this world generally. Um, but uh, I, I think it was he acclimated from doing double teardown, shopping double teardown for my Tuesday Hills ride, leaving work and going to ride hills at 5.45 in the dead of summer, um, I think helps for many reasons. Um, so it's pretty well he acclimated. Also riding to the race, there was some adjustments to be made. I like added a lot more water capacity um, riding from Tucson. Um, and so I think that that helps a lot with, with the heat because um, that really took a lot of people out. Um, 
And I was worried about it, but I, I ended up being okay. Um, and then you get to the North Rim, and uh, when I was riding away that morning, like the last day I was out there, it was five degrees. Um, which was awful. <laughs> the sun came up, and I was like, oh, it's going to get warm. It did not get warm. Uh, it was like 3 p.m., and I was like, why is it not warming up yet? So uh, it's a big range of temperature that you have to adjust for. Um, yeah, the cold part is what scared me. Yeah, I was mostly prepared. I had stuff with me that I didn't want to stop to put on because it was too cold. Um, but it was nice because then I had clean clothes at the it end. It was too cold to stop and put it on. Yeah. So your body, you wanted the body heat moment, mm-hmm. so you didn't want to stop. Well, I'm like riding on like the warmest place for you is riding your bike um, because your body is moving, right. um, and when you stop, it's just cold. Um, so just like, it was also the last day. I was yeah, like, just fuck it. Yeah, fuck it. Let's go. All right, rolling out of Queen Valley, mile 300 something, I don't know what, but um, feeling pretty good, clouds in the sky for the first time this whole time, sun's setting, got 15 miles till Gold Canyon, gonna resupply with a bunch of stuff there, and then keep pushing out in the desert, the heat's been wild, but you know, if there's anything good about being born and raised in Texas, it's heat acclimation. So I've been doing fine with that. It's supposed to get cold up north. So definitely worried about the uh, overnight 20 degree drop. But, you know, I've been carrying these thermals for all of Tour Divide and all of Colorado Trail. So you know what? Maybe it's Arizona that's going to be what makes me whip them out. We'll see. Onward. The push over push. So it's 24 miles. Yeah, so I don't know the names of everything, but it starts at Molina Basin. Um, you're at like, I think it's like 1,500 feet, and then you go all the way up to 85. Uh, and Lemon Push is in there. There's also like Incinerator Ridge and um, after all of that, you also have Oracle Ridge. So after Lemon Push, you get to the top, and then you go down another 2,000 feet, and then you go back up Oracle Ridge. Um, and so that's included in that 24 miles because I went ahead and did that after <laughs> Lemon, um, and just tried to get low after that because it was getting cold. Um, yeah, so that that whole section. There are more names of things in there that um, I probably should know, but. Um, Doing all of those things back to back was was quite a day, so it was disheartening at the end to realize that I was going to be 24 miles. <laughs> how much of that was riding, and how much of it was walking, and how much of it was carrying your bike? I started at 4 a.m. and I probably didn't ride until the top, which was about. 6 p.m. And we're talking like boulders, like you're ki- picking your bike up yeah. over. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I almost was like, should I put my bike on my back? Right. <laughs> like, does that make more sense to Did do it as a practice? Um, as a practice, uh, I didn't end up doing that, but, but it, was, it was a thought. Yeah. For sure. yeah. On social media, you one of the things you highlighted was particularly challenging for you on the EZT this year was kind of the mental 
battle or strain of being alone. It's like a very desolate and arid place. And you mentioned you hadn't seen people for a while. And so, um, what was it like to be out there on the Arizona trail and how did you overcome that like mental hurdle, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think I just, just became a big baby. <laughs> just like everything. We have different, different definitions, definitions of baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. Well, I, yeah, I don't mean that in a, in a bad way. I just mean it in like a very tender way. Um, it was very much like I got to a point where I was pretty exhausted, uh, pretty depleted. And I remember there was one point that uh, as I was hiking my bike, it was just particularly awful, and I just started saying out loud all the things I was grateful for. And then I was like, oh, it's so nice, there's like sunshine. And it reminded me of my partner's dog, and I just started crying, (laughs) Uh, because her name is Sunshine. And I was like, oh my goodness, I just want to be like hanging out with them instead. Um, and so I realized at that point, I was like, okay, we are tender, um, and we need to be kind to ourselves. <laughs> um, and from, from then on, there were just some really soft moments that I think um, were really nice to just let myself feel that. Um, because for a long time, I think I was telling myself that it wasn't worth it to feel those things because it was too much energy to like cry. Um, and then you get to a certain point where like you just can't stop from happening. <laughs> so I think there were definitely times during this race that I um, kind of like let those emotions flow in a way that I wasn't able to before, um, which was honestly really nice. And in some of those moments, it reminded me that I wasn't alone, um, that I did have people waiting for me at home, that I did have, you know, Alexandra kind of right in front of me. She got a pretty good gap. And then Kristen right behind me. Um, and yeah, I think I mentioned in that post like one night laying down and just feeling like I was pretty lonely. And then looking at the track leaders and seeing that she was right there, that Kristen was like a mile or two behind me. Uh, tears again. <laughs> and so it was nice to like actually let myself feel those things and also understand that it doesn't have to be a bad thing, but like that's just where you go sometimes in these races. Um, and somebody did mention to me since that post, I think it was like, oh man, is she okay? Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't think it Yeah, right. But, and, and I think it was nice because it, so many people did reach out to me and say like, oh man, I've felt that too. Like I've been there too in these situations. Um, and so that was nice to just realize like, okay, you're not alone here, you're not alone in how you feel, um, and it's okay, but keep going. Um, so, yeah. It almost sounds, I'm curious to get your perspective, that um, maybe you found that it's, it's easier just to experience those emotions, allow them to go through you rather than try to fight against them and be like, oh, I'm going to just not cry and suck it all up and just keep going. It's just like, ah, oh, just let it flow through you. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting they kind of reached that. It was a little bit of a breaking point. I remember during Colorado Trail, there were a couple times that I was just like, you know, I had some voices from my past being like, it's not worth it, crying doesn't help anything. Um, sometimes it does. <laughs> there you go. Sometimes you can cry. I think crying is synonymous with bikepacking. I, re- I really do believe that. The Grand Canyon. Uh, we have to talk about the Grand Canyon. And I, I think it would be a great time to put the bike on your back if you want to, if you want to do a demonstration. Yeah. So this is. Woo, 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 put it on. <laughs> 
this is what you never see, right? We all know how to ride bikes. We know how to fix a flat or whatever. How many of y'all know how to take your bike apart, put it on a backpack, and then put that on your bike? I don't, or back, I don't understand it. Let's go. So this is the Osprey Cirrus 24 liter. Um, it's the smallest uh, pack that they make that actually has this frame in it. Um, and originally, oh sorry. Oh no, you're good. Originally I was gonna have it modified, but um, Hanson and I talked about it. He's from Dark Realm, and he sent me a video. And he was like, honestly, it's got a lot of straps on it. So I was like, all right. Let's try it. Um, so it's attached at the top here. There's two buckles, um, one that's around my down tube here and one that's around my uh, seat stay. And then I have the handlebars kind of strapped um, with, <laughs> it's a little awkward. Um, I have the handlebars strapped here with this um, side kind of like buckle. Um, and that holds those in place too. So um, you guys can't make fun of me. I'm going to interview while you, I mean, you already did 26 miles, so let's just have a little quick chat. What is it, how does that feel right now? How, how does that feel? It's good right now. Okay. Um, and it's, the thing I realized was that it's so heavy that it's not ever going to not hurt. <laughs> <laughs> so you just have to figure out a way to get it onto your back um, without what I was going for was like just acute pain, like pain in the moment, and then try to make it to where afterwards it doesn't hurt for longer. Yeah, and nice. and then I'd be like walking, and I'm like not out of breath. I gotta walk faster. Can we just pause and acknowledge that that's what you? Those are the decisions you're making when you're a bike packer. It's like I'm gonna go with acute pain now, so hopefully I don't have prolonged pain later, and that's what you're dealing with. Like that's just yeah, amazing. Absolutely, um, and it worked pretty well. I did have to keep an eye out on, on this side because you get kind of narrow, so you gotta go sideways. <laughs> and then the best one was like when there was anything above me. Yeah, this is, you, she's done this, you can yeah. tell. All right, you can put it down. Good job. If you want to, yeah. <laughs> you can do the rest of the interview with it on. Harder to put I would I offer to help with that angle the first time. <laughs> How was the big, the grand, the big canyon, the grand, canyon, the big gold grand canyon? I, I asked this question on, on my last episode, but I think it's a decent question. What is it like to stand on the edge of the grand canyon, strap your bike to your back, and get ready to descend into the grand canyon? Like, what is that? Like? Feels insane. Feels insane. No, I think honestly, it's it, while like seven. 
15 of 800. And so it really felt like, all right, this is it. Like we just do this and then we've only got 77 miles to go on the other side. Um, and so once I got there, I was honestly excited. I was like, oh, this is weird and different. Um, I said to my friend Jolene, she like had FaceTimed me a couple days before I got to the canyon, and I was like, I'm kind of stoked on this. She was like, yeah, I think it's just heinous enough that it's like something that is exciting. Um, she's very like me too. Um, but I think that it was, it was a milestone to get there. And then once you actually start descending into the canyon, the first seven miles is like truly down. Like you were just going straight down. And like as you're doing that, you're like, well, this, this is, I gotta get out of here. Like there's no other way out. Um, there are helicopters and mules and that's it. Um, so you really don't, like there's not really an option to quit once you start it, um, unless you have a lot of time. Uh, which don't. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think going down was rough on the knees, um, and then coming back up, you've got about seven miles of pretty steady uphill, and then the last seven, it's like starts to kick up, and the last three, it's really bad. So I started at 7 a.m. Um, hiking down. Um, I did go by the mules. So that was one of my favorite moments because as the mules were coming up, a real cute cowboy, and he looked at me and said, "You're as strong as a mule." And the other thing too that people tend to talk about is like there there are so many people hiking the Grand Canyon, and every single one of them are like. Because <laughs> right. uh, there's, there's such a gap, gap in between the riders that they're not seeing multiple riders. You're the only one, most likely. There was this group of women, they were like, oh, you must be way ahead. We have not seen anyone. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, they're just that far ahead of me. <laughs> yeah. And then the guy that was behind me, um, his name's Eric, he was funny because I saw him at the end and he was like, man, you must have done something because everyone that saw me was like, that girl in front of you looks strong. He <laughs> <laughs> was like, oh, no. I don't think they were calling me weak, but um, yeah, that, that was funny to hear after the fact. Because um, there were some, he was close enough behind me, I think there were some overlap for people that had seen me and seen him. So yeah, and then, I, mean, I really, truly, the last three miles was just the worst part, and it got dark, and it got cold. And luckily there was no one around because it was a true supper fest. Um, it's like 15% for the last one or two. Um, and once you get to the top, it's like switchbacks and switchbacks. And the last one's really long and it just feels like it's never going to end. Um, and it was crazy because once I got toward the top, I kind of turned my phone back on. I had a text from Katya and she was like, that last mile is the longest ever. <laughs> but you can do it. And I was like, you're ready. <laughs> Yeah, so got to the top and collapsed. Um, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Maybe we'll put that soundbite out when we're talking about how it was the worst thing we've ever done. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's heard that. Yeah. It's heard that. Yeah. It's heard that. Yeah. It's It's 8-11 a.m. We are on the South Kebab Trail down into the Grand Canyon. day to do dumb things. <laughs> um, 
far, doing all right. Um, just trying to remember to eat food and stay hydrated because my legs are already a little shaky. We're uh, not very far through this, so we'll see how it goes. I'll check in probably at Phantom Ranch. Oops, are out here in the Grand Canyon, mile 14 of 22-ish, um, and we're doing it. It's 3.53 in the afternoon, We've got about two hours of daylight left, definitely going to be hiking in the dark, definitely not looking forward to it, um, but gotta do what you gotta do. Gotta get through this canyon. So, hopefully at a reasonable hour. Um, and then I'll probably honestly just collapse and get up and finish tomorrow. But, we'll see. Maybe I'll be so inspired to get this thing over with. I mean, to finish. But I'll just keep going. I don't know. Was it more hard than pretty or more pretty than hard? It was beautiful. It, and I will say that that hike is really, really lovely. Um, it's well maintained because people are there all the time, which was the nice part. You know, there are parts of this trail that don't see a lot of people. And so the fact that I was not like tearing through catcom the whole time was actually kind of nice. Um, and there was a point too that I, didn't realize, like, I got to some of the switchbacks, you can't really see where the trail goes. So I kind of had a couple moments of like, oh, like, I'm gonna get out of here, right? Like, there's a way out <laughs> um, that I hadn't felt before. Um, <laughs> You're like, I live here now. <laughs> it was a little bit of like claustrophobia. Um, that was scary. Yeah. yeah. I really had to kind of stop myself from thinking about it, because I was like, it's, there's a trail somewhere. <laughs> um, was that based, based on hallucination, tiredness, just, or? Just oh, dread. Yeah. <laughs> just well, overall. Because all the way down, you see it all. Yeah. And you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to end up over there someday. Um, but going back up, it's really hard to tell where you're going. Um, so you kind of have to stop thinking about it and just like, look at it All right. One of the nice things about having a podcast is sometimes you can ask questions that are self-serving, and this is one of those. I think other people can benefit from it, too. But I'm doing the 300 uh, in April, the AZT 300 and I'm having a hard time deciding between a carbon full suspension and a titanium hardtail like you rode. So if you were able to pick, what bike would you go with? So, I'm a little younger than you. Sure, a lot. Um, So I think if I were you, I would honestly probably go The most honest human being I've ever met. Yeah, no, it's, I love it. It's good. So one of the, one of the things that started with me that Lael said to me once, um, kind of offhand, I said something about like, oh yeah, I've got this like timber jack and I'm going to try to ride for all three right races. And she goes, hardtail on the Arizona Trail? Ouch. And I was like, oh. <laughs> so I was a little bit worried about it, honestly. I also have a carbon full sess. I do. Um, it's comfier, for sure. It's harder to pack. So you have to make sure that all the stuff that you need can go on the bike. Um, but if you can make that work, I would say that the, the full suspension would be more comfy than a hardtail. Um, but it's not that you can't do it on a hardtail. 
I'm gonna listen to you. Yeah. Put, it would just it would be a lot. I put a poll on my Instagram and like 100 people voted, and 69% of the people voted for a car, a, a titanium. Nice. It was actually 68%, but we all know that it's actually 69%. Um, but then, like, Kurt Refsnyder messaged me on Instagram. They're like, don't listen to these people that haven't run the AZT. Get a carbon full suspension. And Lael's uh, answer the same. So, all right. Yeah. That actually, I think other people can benefit from that one, too. Let's talk about the Triple Crown at large. Um, three races, three routes. Which one was the hardest for you? And maybe why? Yeah. I would say AZT is probably the hardest. It's the freshest on my mind, too. Yeah, I would say it's the hardest technically because it is true mountain biking and because of the recent bumps being so uh, scarce. Yeah, so I'd say overall AZT. Um, I think Tour Divide is hard because of how long it is. Um, that really started to wear on me. Um, and Colorado Trail is hard because it's up at 12,000 feet for a lot of the time, so you just can't breathe. Um, <laughs> that's hard. Yeah, that's hard. Um, I don't have a favorite. <laughs> you don't have a favorite? That's a good, that's a good answer. I have to choose, let's say Colorado probably, because it takes the least amount of time again, because it's very pretty. Um, but, you know, I've tried to figure out how to talk about this without sounding like a little bit of a brat. But I realized partway through AZT that I think when I said I was going to do Triple Crown, I don't know that it was something that I wanted to do, personally. Um, I think it was a challenge that was presented to me, and I was like, yeah, that's something I should do. Um, and so I had to do some reframing during this one, because I was like, why do I have such a bad attitude about this? Like, this is such a privilege to get to be out of your right my bike. Um, you know, it has taken a lot for me to get to do it. A lot of people have sacrificed things. I have sacrificed a lot. So like, why was I feeling so kind of dreadful of it beforehand? Um, and so once I was able to say, okay, maybe it's something that I didn't necessarily want to do. It's just part of this like triple crown thing. Um, like, what is it that I do want to do? Um, and I realized like, Lemon Push was something that really intrigued me because it is really, really hard and I was like, that will feel really good to get to like experience and finish. And then Grand Canyon was another one that I was like actually excited about. And so that helped with the like baby steps of getting through this last one. Um, but it was really strange to like kind of realize that um, even though it's something that's a really that feels like a really big deal, I didn't I wasn't entirely sure that I that I wanted it. I chose it, but I don't know that I wanted it. Yeah. So yeah. Let's dig in there just a little bit. Yeah, what did, was not appealing about the AZT, or why do you think that you had this like block towards it? Yeah, I don't know. I think the part of me was scared of it. It was definitely something that um, I know a few friends have, who have attempted, um, and so it, it definitely scared me some, um, which adds to a little bit of the appeal because then it's nice once you're out there and actually doing it, you're like feeling pretty fulfilled because you're doing the thing that you're scared of. Um, but I think it was also just like, it, it was really, I was really tired <laughs> after having done uh, Tour Divide and Colorado. Um, and I think I realized that doing Colorado, there were a couple people that were like, man, this is all I've thought about for like the past year. How are you doing this? Not to mention you were, you found out right before AZT about uh, Cycle East and your career change yeah, like happened. So 
you had a lot of external stuff going on in the background as well. Truly, um, yeah, and I think that's something that came on. Um, it wasn't a surprise to me, like we've talked a lot about the shop closing, um, but it was really real at that point. Um, and it's feeling more and more real um, every single day. <laughs> um, so I do think there was a lot going on, even just in a personal life, that, um, that is gonna change uh, pretty soon, so yeah. Um, what have you learned about yourself or taken away from this year in terms of, and kind of picking up on what you were saying about the AZT, about your own personal like enjoyment of this style of riding your bike, of, of racing, of doing these really hard things? Like, did you come away really loving this? Where, where did you land? Yeah. I would say um, I, had a, I had a moment um, during this race that I, I kind of came up with this concept of uh, what I started calling fast packing my brain. Um, I told a couple of my friends about this. I got really excited about it, actually. Um, people have already used the term, uh, but the way I was kind of defining it in my head was doing these big, long races, um, but having a minimum stop time uh, that was required for uh, this kind of like sector of racing. So you can still have FKT, race as fast as you can, stop as little as you want. Um, but if you also had this other discipline of like, you have to do the same race, but you have are required for every 24 hours you're out there, you gotta have eight hours of that you stop time. Um, and I started thinking about it as a concept, so I was like, this is something that feels really important to me because one of the things I hate about this sport is how much people feel like they have to like spread themselves thin to do it and like how impressive it is to do something on very little sleep and very little sustenance. Um, and so I kind of started thinking about that as a concept and it could be different for each race depending on what feels necessary as far as uh, rest goes. Um, but it felt important to me and something that I wanted to kind of start thinking about doing with my own style of racing. It came a little bit from um, Lachlan, Lachlan. Yeah. Was it Lachlan one? Yeah, okay. Um, so every 48 hours he was out there, he had 12 hours of stop time. Um, that was his own kind of uh, decision. And he did it faster than anybody's ever done it. Yeah, yeah. So like, I think there's a little something there. Yeah. Um, and I'm gonna say now on the internet, so just in case he comes something, I can have a little bit of credit. Um, but I do think it was really important, and I think that's something that I've realized um, in doing these races, uh, just like take care of yourself. Uh, because I think that is so much more admirable and also might make you go faster. Yeah. Uh, when I talked to Alexandra at the end of AZT, she said this is the most that she's stopped and it's also the fastest she's gone. Yeah. Um, so I do think it matters. Um, and yeah, like I said, I, I would be much more impressed with someone who finished this thing feeling like an actual person um, than just doing it the fastest. Yeah, this is an interesting topic and and there's events that are now, like you say, that are mandating minimum uh, sleep times. Whenever you're talking about doing it, are you talking about entering those style events or just like if you were to do the AZT again, for example, you would do it w fast packing, you know? Yeah, I think it could be a cool option. Yeah. I wouldn't want to take away the, the traditional style of bike packing. Right. I don't think that that's necessary. And I do think that that can still be admirable in some sense, um, but I think it'd be a cool subset that puts every 
everybody on a similar playing field as far as stop time goes. Um, just because it means that you're required to have that much time and you can spend it whenever you want. And if you finish and you haven't stopped enough, then it's just added to, right. to the end of your time. Um, and the faster you do it, the less time that you need to have been stopped. So, yeah. you know, there's probably some math in there. And that's the other thing. I was like, God, am I going to add more simple math to this <laughs> sport? Because <laughs> there's so much of it already as far as just like how many, how many calories. Hours, how many hours, yeah. How many calories. Yeah, there's like so many numbers already bouncing around in your head. But it's just... It's the other thought is safety. I mean, it's like taking care of yourself and then safety is the reason why a lot of these events or some of these events have adopted this, uh, this stoppage time. And I, I, I land where you land, honestly, I like those style events. And I also like that if people want to, they can also go and not sleep and not eat. And that's fine if that's what they want to do, but having the option so people can feel like, yeah, I can actually sleep and be competitive and enjoy this and take care of myself is, is good. That's yeah. also good. I'm wondering how much time, if any, you've spent thinking about your accomplishment and if, you know, feeling proud of yourself, it's so easy to nitpick, right? It's like what we're all good at is like, oh, I could have gone faster. I could have done it this way. Or have you had an opportunity to reflect on what you accomplished and how you feel about what the fuck you, what, what you just did? What just happened? Yeah. Um, yeah. I... I'm so bad about this because I and I come back and I go back to work and I see all my friends and I do all the same things that I did beforehand and um, I think I've kind of fallen into a very comfortable rhythm that's nice but I also have to like remind myself like hey you just did that like that just happened um, so I've try I'm, I'm trying um, and I will say that stuff like this does help because then it gets me to talk about it and remind myself um, that it's that it very much did happen um, it's not something to take lightly it's a big deal um, this one actually is a big deal yeah, this, yeah. One, okay. this one actually <laughs> is a big deal yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's official that's on the internet too now <laughs> yeah. so it's something that i'm trying to work on um i think i mentioned in one of our earlier episodes it's just the the like what is it instead of being excited about it, it's just like slightly relieved that it's over. <laughs> I think that's also a fair feeling, yeah. but as it sex sets in, I hope that you will take the time to feel proud of yourself and to like really try to uh, understand and appreciate like what you accomplished. Cause like as a fan and I'm sure much of this community is like absolutely in all of you inspired by you and impressed by what you were able to do. So thanks for taking us along for the journey and we're proud of you, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> I, th I thought we were. I was pretty sure we were proud of her. Let's ask her some questions. Uh, anyone could go, and uh, you just got to come get this microphone. Check, check, check. It's recording. Yep, just, and you can pass it around to anybody that, yep. Um, I think one of the coolest things about these events is not only do you have to carry food and water, you have to carry a lot of um, supplies and tools mm -hmm. to repair the bike. Um, so what was your most difficult mechanical out in the field and what did you have to do to fix it? Yeah, I get to talk about this. Yeah, so thank you so much for the question. Um, so I actually, um, I, I do have an answer to the toughest mechanicals on IZT, um, but I will say that I didn't have a whole lot of bike trouble while I was out there. Um, it helps to be a bike mechanic. Um, <laughs> 
for sure. So there are probably little things that I maybe didn't realize I was doing. Um, I will say during Tour Divide and Colorado Trail, about halfway through, I had a bike in a shop in front of somebody with the proper tools to like check through it all and make sure that it's like set to go, which I think helped preventatively. And that's the number one thing I want to say about this is that if you can prevent things from happening, like get ahead of them, then it is much easier when you're actually out there um, to not even have to run into issues. Um, and I'm very proud to say that I got through the entire triple crown without a single flat. Masterclass in electrician. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, that was one that wouldn't have been catastrophic, but it definitely saved me from a lot of things dying um, while I was out there. Um, so I think that that was probably, honestly, the worst thing I felt like. Also, I understand why people are at the right single speeds because the rear hangers were very hard to keep straight. Um, so, there's that. Um, yeah. Quick, quick question yes. and a nod to you. Did any of your water bottles freeze on the AZT? Oh, Leanne knows about my water bottles freezing, that's for sure. Um, I, uh, yes, yeah. Um, leaving the North Rim, um, in the five degree weather, um, the hose of my um, water bladder froze, um, which 
was a bad force out of my part, and I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. It's <laughs> outside. Um, and then my Nalgene was the other extra water that I had, and that also froze. It did not freeze solid, um, which was good. I have had that happen. I tried to ride my bike to Dallas last year um, for Christmas because um, my family lives there, and I had never done it before. I was like, oh, that's cool. Maybe I'll try that on the day that it's 15 degrees in Texas. Um, and I started riding that morning at like 6 a.m. And by 7, I had gone, you know, whatever, it was like 20 miles maybe. And both of my bottles were frozen solid. And I was like, wow, I really didn't think about that. That hasn't happened before. Um, so yeah, I did think of you. Um, <laughs> Yeah, because um, then Leanne had to pick me up and we like put the bottles on the dash and like <laughs> cranked the heat. Um, and she definitely, maybe I signed out of that. That was the moment that she picked me up. And yeah, um, she, took me, she took me, she took me And then we. You rode the rest of the night. Yeah, and then I kept her. <laughs> <laughs> Just got a little help We had coffee yeah. and then you left. Yeah. Yes, true. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, this is going to sound like a fake question, but this is a genuine question. It, it's kind of funny, but it is a real question. Yes. So when I put your bike on a little bit ago, uh -huh. I hit my head like three times. Just like little bumps. Yeah. Did you wear your helmet while you were hiking? So, um... <laughs> That's a good question. Good question. Yeah, so it was a little bit of an oversight on my part. So I actually, the only time that I practiced putting my bike on my back um, was with Corey, who's here at um, we went out to Hush Hush, our local uh, trails on the east side, and um, I hiked with it there, and I made the joke when we were leaving my house, like, oh, I'm leaving my helmet, ha oh. <laughs> like, I'm not riding my bike. Um, and so I didn't consider it until it got dark, and then I was like, oh, my headlamp attaches to my helmet with Velcro, um, and I do not have any other way to attach my headlamp to my head. Um, so I had to put my helmet on, and then every single time I took a step, knocking against the back of my head, um, I was very annoying. Maybe that's why the last three miles were awful. <laughs> um, yeah, I tried to kind of adjust to get my head in the triangle um, of the back, but it didn't really work very well. Um, and at that point, I was like, I'm so close, just give me out of here. Just give me a concussion, let's get up. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Good question. Who else? Oh, I was going to check. Yeah. Keeper, we got another one back behind you. Going back to the water yeah. subject, uh, can you describe the sketchiest water you drink? <laughs> <laughs> sketchiest water, yeah. Um, it's funny because the tank looks green. Um, but it filters clear, so there's that. Um, I would, so there were a couple times there are um, cattle tanks uh, along the AZT. Because maybe I should say it, it's a hiking trail. Um, maybe that's another reason why it's not super fun to bike on it. Um, but hikers, you know, they need water a lot more often than uh, bikers do because it takes a lot longer to get from place to place. So. Uh, they have water caches that you can, um, they put water in um, before they go off a hike. So a lot of the water caches that have been built by the uh, Arizona Trail Association, you like write on a gallon of water, like this is water for so-and-so. Uh, and I only took from one of those, it was Molino Basin, and they had put 56 gallons of water 
in that water cache so that we could get water before lemon push. Because with it being new this year, there was like not really, you're like, I don't know, it's going to take you all day and there's no water anywhere. Um, so I didn't take the mini water caches. It's kind of a like a controversial thing whether or not bikers should be able to do that. Um, but there are cattle tanks, um, which is a broad term. <laughs> uh, sometimes it's a hole in the ground. Um, sometimes it looks like a giant puddle. Um, there was one that was truly a tank that was above ground, and they had like a field that it had a metal like kind of roof on it. And I guess that was the rainwater catch, and it filtered into the tank itself. And you had to climb up on top of the tank and open this hatch. Um, I'm not kidding, I have a video of it's crazy. Um, so you open the hatch up, and then they've got a little like gallon um, tied to the hatch that you drop down in there, and then you pull it up with water. <laughs> it felt like it was in a video game. <laughs> It was the, the most Arizona Trail thing that I did. Um, that water was clear, which was cool. Um, but yeah, usually the water from the, the holes in the ground um, is green. And then um, I carried a I carried a platypus um, filter um, that got everything everything that I got out was um, clear when it came to the filter. Uh, that filter's probably dead now. Um, <laughs> But then I also carried uh, aqua taps as well, because um, there were occasions that I would carry dirty water because I wasn't sure if I was going to have to filter it or not, and that's one of those like time issue things, right? Like you don't want to filter a bunch of water that you don't need. I kind of got over the like carrying water you don't need because it's really common to run out, and so I just didn't want to deal with that. I was like, there's too many other factors going into this. I'd rather just carry too much weight. Like it's just going to make you stronger. Carrying your bike through the Grand Canyon, like, why are you worried about it? Um, yeah. What a time to become a weight weenie. Yeah. <laughs> we had a question at the back there. Hi, Anna. Uh, first off, congratulations. Very motivating. Um, I do have a question, and it's regard to, I'll start off. Uh, it's a, uh, apparent to me that you're very involved in the community, uh, in the cycling community. You're a full-time employee here at Cyclist. Um, and you do these incredible cycling events. How do you manage your bandwidth and avoid burnout? Yeah, I would say I'm very fortunate to have a community that's also super involved with Biking, um, it's a thing that we do for fun a lot of the time, so it's kind of cool because I'm like, oh, I'm training, but really I'm just hanging out with my friends. Um, I mentioned they've got a couple friends who are also on the same crazy train, um, maybe a little couple rows back, but um, yeah, I think I'm fortunate to have a lot of folks who like to hang out on bikes with me. Um, so I mentioned Double Teardown, it's a 40 mile hills route that uh, is not easy. And I've got a crew that does it with me nearly every Tuesday. Um, sometimes they do it without me, um, which is really cool. So things like that definitely keep me going. I did realize at a certain point, like working full time, managing a bike shop, and then also racing my bike and also having to train for it, I was like, wow, oh, this is like a lot of my personality. 
which the jury's still out on how I feel about that. Um, I think it's going to change soon. <laughs> um, but um, it really, like, it fills you up just as much as it drains you. Um, and I think that that's something that has been really cool uh, to experience because Patrick asked me on our last episode, like, are you tired of, like, riding your bike? Um, and I feel pretty fortunate to, to not be tired of it. Um, I'm a little scared of ever having to stop doing that. Um, yeah, it feels good to, to move my body and I've got a lot of cool people to do it with me, for sure. Who else? Let's pass, pass, pass the mic. Hi. <laughs> um, so as someone mentioned back there, you are very involved in the community. Um, and it never ceases to amaze me, like how many people show up for you in a very like real way, like not just like a go Hannah, but like FaceTiming you. Um, she had our entire friend group make her playlist. <laughs> um, <laughs> so what surprised you the most about the ways people showed up for you while you're on trail? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's pretty major um, for a lot of reasons. Um, there's there's the community here that you mentioned. You know, I, I say to my friends like, "Oh, hey, you know, it'd be kind of cool if you guys each made me a playlist because then when I'm out there, I can like listen to it and feel like I'm hanging out with you," um, which was phenomenal. I mean, I've got like 20 plus playlists now that I get to keep forever um, from some of my closest friends. Um, and so there's those little moments. Like, it's amazing to me how many people check my dot, like on the regular. Um, Kyle was like, I think it was about three times a day during ACT, which is really sweet. Um, just to have anybody have that thought, you know, you're out there for a really long time. And so to have people who repeatedly like come back and check on you uh, is massive. Any little text, like, I mean, anytime I turn on my phone, there was like countless people and yes, it's my close friends, but then it's also like people on the internet who just are like following along now, especially with how strong the women's guild was. I think that a lot of people kind of caught on to um, who we were and they'd see us hanging out and be like, oh yeah, you know, Chris was right behind you. And sometimes it was like, go get them. And other times, you know, it was just encouraging to know that people were actually watching. Because um, it's wild to me, like, thinking about how life keeps going on even when you're out in the middle of nowhere doing something crazy. Um, and it's really flattering to have anybody uh, checking in on me, for sure. Um, and then there's the like physical being there, right? So like I mentioned, Katie Strumke, uh, her partner Andrew, was there at the start and also at the finish. And then in addition to him, there was also three people who had scratched, who like didn't really want to go home from the race and so they just came to the end and they were there to hang out. Like there was a crowd of people when I finished the Arizona Trail, which was crazy. It was dark and I rolled up and I was like, who, who is all that? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and it's like Katie's parents and um, Connor who I mentioned who like rode with us before and this guy Zach who I had just met and he literally offered to drive me from the end of the race to Las Vegas, which is four and a half miles, or four and a half hours away by car. He was like, I'm going to Idaho. It's like mostly on the way. <laughs> and I was like, what? 
because um, that's where I was going afterwards. And so, like, yeah, just the outpouring of love from the community. Um, you know, it feels like your family already just because you've done similar things. Um, yeah, so I, it's super supportive, and I, it always surprises me, but it's always really nice, too. Mm -hmm. yeah. Who else? Oh, I knew I was in the right area. You don't know there was one coming through in that area. Hi, Hannah. Um, my question, I actually have two, if the first one doesn't work. Did you have any crazy dreams being in such a visceral situation for days on end? And if you also want to answer top three favorite stretches. <laughs> An active one. Um, yeah, I, yes, yes dreams. Um, <laughs> some of them, so the dreams during, um, a lot of the time I would kind of like wake up talking, and I talk in my sleep. Um, and so I'd kind of like wake myself up talking and I'd have these weird in and out moments of like not actually being asleep um, and just talking to myself. Um, and there was, I can't remember which race it was, uh oh. <laughs> I think it was during Two Divide. Yeah, there, there were definitely times that, um, oh yeah, so it was Two Divide. I wasn't dreaming, I was hallucinating. <laughs> I was on, it was like the second to last day, and I was with uh, Sacha, and we were uh, on the section of, um, they put you on six miles of the actual like Continental Divide Trail, um, the hiking trail. Uh, it's in northern New Mexico that this section happens. I had not slept the night before, um, which was silly. Uh, and sometimes you just feel good, so you just keep going. But we were walking, it was like getting close to 1 a.m. And as I was looking at the ground, I just kept seeing wrappers. It was like candy wrappers and chip wrappers. And I was like, God, this trail is a mess. <laughs> like, why is there so much trash out here? And then I'd get close to it, and I'm like, that's a plant. <laughs> that is not a wrapper. And I was like, oh no, it's happening. Like, I'm <laughs> losing my mind. Um, I was very hungry. Yeah, so that was really weird to have your brain do things that um, are not real for you. Um, and there's always like, I mean, a lot of the time riding along trees, like I play this game where I'm like, is it a log or is it a person? Because <laughs> uh, it always looks like a person. Um, in a place where there's mailboxes, people. They're all <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it gets weird, for sure. Which is not really a dream, I guess. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And then the dreams after are always like, I wake up in the middle of the night, I'm like, where am I? What am I doing? Why am I not riding my bike? Um, that usually lasts for like a week or so after. So, um, stretches? New stretches. Uh, do I do them? I think yeah. you have to do them. Okay. Um, I know I'm not sure. This is my 15th stretch. Yeah, this is my 15th stretch. Now, uh, pigeon, everybody knows pigeon. Um, you get down in here, and then you also pull this. Oh, oh, boy. oh my god! No, yeah, I don't do that. Yeah, I'm not that advanced. <laughs> that was like one of my favorite ones. So that's what <laughs> all the time. Um, <laughs> for for hips. There's also like um, you do these where you get kind of like left. Make sure you got some space. You go here, and then you like switch. <laughs> <laughs> that's 
the hips. Whoa. That, like, a lot of hip stretches there. Um, yes, thank you. Documentary. Yeah. You said three? What about back stretch? Do you have a back stretch? Three back stretch. Yeah, I don't know if there's no safe hands. Yeah, um, <laughs> I don't know, maybe just on the top, too. Like, if you're standing somewhere, you can, like, put your foot up on the top, too. That's a good one. Maybe, if I think of another one, I'll change. Who else? Yeah. Congratulations. Uh, hi. Uh, your scariest moment and your favorite moment. What was In the second one, sorry? Favorite. Favorite. Okay. Um, oh, man, the scariest moment was definitely um, during AZT this time. Oh, sorry, a lot about this already. But um, I was coming out of uh, Walnut Canyon, um, and I don't know where that is. It's somewhere along the route. I just remember it because it was like, where am I? What just happened? Uh, coming out of Walnut Canyon, I was on the trail, and I had stopped because I was like, oh, I really got pee. Um, so I stopped on the trail, and I was about to lean my bike up against a tree, and out of the woods come two of the largest mountain lions I've ever seen oh. in my whole life. Um, just running one after the other, um, probably like 15 yards from me. Um, and it was the most surreal moment because they came running across and they just kept going, and I could, keep, I could see them for like nearly 30 seconds. Um, I was just standing there like, please, don't let them see me. Um, very, very surreal moment. Um, you got to be worried about what the mountain lions are running from. Yeah. Where are you running from? I'm going that direction. Um, yeah. And they're just, they're so much bigger. And it also, I think it always reminds me, like, they, even if you don't see the thing, it's out there. Like, they're always out there. Um, yeah. So that was definitely a scary moment. There were a couple rattlesnake moments, too, that... Um, I kind of forgot about until right now. Like, I came up really early on. There was um, a person stopped in front of me, and he was like, his bike was like where Ben is. And he was back here. And I was like, what is going on? Yeah. And then I saw there's a rattlesnake like coiled up on his front wheel. Oh. And I was like, man, what did you do? <laughs> <laughs> Like, 
uh, is there a venom? Like, how do you, what, what do you do? I still don't know. What do you do if you get, um, everybody thank you so much for tuning in and if you made it this far i guess that means the audio wasn't so terrible that you weren't able to finish so that makes me happy i actually bought a new uh audio recorder after that uh i was like okay uh that was my cue to uh bite the bullet and uh and purchase some f nicer equipment 
again, big congratulations to Hannah. She's truly a legend and I can't wait to see what she does in the future. All right. Well, speaking of the future, like I said, next episode is the last one of the year. It'll probably come out in about two weeks. Uh, I'm going to give you guys some a chance to get your questions in, but uh, don't delay, you know, get them in. I don't know when the cutoff is going to be exactly, but you got at least a week because I'm, I'm going, uh, I got a little international trip. I'm going out of the country. And uh, so I'm going to do this end of year episode with an AMA, the awards and all that jazz uh, here in probably a couple of weeks. So again, send me your questions, send them to bikes at bikesordeath.com. Send me an audio version, just send, type it up, whatever you want to do, and I'll do my best to answer them. All right, everybody, that is it. Thank you so much for being here today. It is always a pleasure. And until next week, you know what to do. Go ride your damn bike. It was the middle of the night. You grabbed your knife and you held it tight. The sounds of beasts kept you awake. The sounds they made kept you afraid in the morning you packed your bike memories forgotten from the previous night you rode faster than ever before was it your imagination or merely folklore fear turned into strength as you pushed further every pedal stroke stronger and firmer your bike feels weightless your legs aren't tired you think to yourself just a few more miles bikes oh death bikes oh death